Hello again and welcome to your member-only content here at the USCCA. I'm Kevin Michalowski, editor of Concealed Carry Magazine, and I'm here with Tom Grieve, noted criminal defense attorney and former state prosecutor. And we're breaking down every element of a defensive gun use step-by-step in five-minute increments. So, Tom, we're going to give you five minutes again today to talk about, are you ready, arrest and detention. So we're moving along in this process, and the police have already arrived, and we've survived that incident, and, and all of the things are going on as we're moving further and further down the trail here. And what happens if the de- police decide, after your defensive gun use, you as the good guy, now you're going to be taken to the jail or the police station or someplace like that for questioning? Where do we go from here? You got five minutes. You're on the clock. Here we go. So... I don't think I've had a case involving a firearm in self-defense, whether they pulled the trigger or not, where my client was not arrested and taken in for questioning. And that's, of mm-hmm. course, not to say that it doesn't happen sometimes, but just kind of by way of background knowledge, it probably is going to happen. And people need to understand there's a difference between detained, arrest, and charge. Right. And being arrested, yeah, you're just in custody. You're going with the police. Right. It does not mean that you've been convicted. doesn't mean that you've been charged. It doesn't mean anything of the sort, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they're bringing in for questioning, which will invariably happen. This questioning will probably, if you decide to play ball and answer their questions, uh, what I have routinely seen is hours and hours and hours of questioning. It's not unusual to see uh, a couple different officers come in to kind of approach the same question from different angles to see if your answers vary. Not something you see all the time by Mm -hmm. any measure, but uh, it's something that I have seen on more than one occasion. Now, should you have your attorney present while this is happening? Oh yes, but you should. Even if your attorney somehow is present, okay. Mm-hmm. And by the way, this doesn't work like the movies. I can't just go in there with my leather briefcase and styrofoam cup of coffee and bust into the interrogation room and tell tell the cops to scram. Mm-hmm. I got tased in the lobby if yeah. that happened. Okay, <laughs> it doesn't work that way. You have to be able to stand on your own two feet to raise your rights, to raise your right to an attorney, which is superior, by the way, to raising your right to silence. And it's very easy. You just make some sort of indication. I'm not going to answer any questions without my attorney present, okay? Um, Polite, but firm and respectful, Mm -hmm. okay? And that's what you're going for. And how long can the police keep you if, let's say, this happens late on a Friday night and I don't want to wake you up? You're not going to come in and get me at at midnight on a Friday, um, but the police still want to talk to me, but I'm not going to talk to them until you're by my side. How long can the cops keep me? So... Ordinarily, what you'll see in many places, and again, you got to really check your local listings, but I, I'm, so I'm just going to make this broad without anchoring on specific timelines, but they may be able to keep you for a couple days, okay, prior to making any sort of probable cause charging decisions, okay? And then the second leg of that journey often is then how much time do they have to hold you before giving you any kind of bail, depending upon the laws in your states, or to make some sort of probable cause determination, okay? And again, a lot of these nuances fluctuate from state to state. So maybe the first leg's 48 hours, the second leg's 72. Maybe federal holidays plays a role in that. Maybe it doesn't. Uh, there's all sorts of permutations and nuances to this. But as a general guideline, it could be four or five days before you see before you see the outside. And do you really just get one phone call? How does this work? So, right. Uh, of course, the good guy or, or the guy who's being asked is sitting there in the chair in the interrogation room and you know, they say, just give me my phone call, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, folks, maybe hours and hours and hours and hours before you ever get to sniff a telephone, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, and let me just put it like that, I guess. Uh, what I would suggest is don't call your attorney 
Okay, mm-hmm. they may be out on the on the back nine <laughs> or whatever that might be. Right. Um, what I always tell people is, look, contact that loved one who you know checks their voicemail. Okay, mm-hmm. that's the person you want, not your schizophrenic friend with the full inbox and all that kind of stuff. And never checks it. I'm calling that one person in my life who I have already prepared on. God forbid if this happens, this is the person I call. This is the law for my contact, okay? And I'm going to that person who's reliable and competent to basically pick up the ball from there. Yeah, absolutely. And again, we're getting back to the point of having a plan before this happens. So uh, the police are going to take you in, and clearly you've been involved in a shooting, so there is going to be an investigation. And um, in, in my work as a police officer, I want to defend those actions that we need to know what happened to make sure that your actions were justifiable. We weren't at the scene. We didn't know what happened. So we're taking you to a location where we can get more information and find out what's happening, and how it's going to go. Most of what happens at our jail is basically a book and release. The person is in, they're booked into jail, we know who they are, we get their information, and they're released. In a shooting situation like this, probably going to be a lot more questioning and and a lot more things going on. Is there something that you would tell your clients to say or not to say in a situation like that? Generally speaking, raise your rights to an attorney, and that's that. You already Mm -hmm. gave them the, the description of the scene, they already processed the evidence. At this point, you're exhausted. It may have been hours since you left the scene at this point. It may not have been, but it may have been hours. You mentioned book and release. If you're in a major urban area, that may take 24 hours with very limited access to food, water, bathrooms, and so forth. So you just have to to mentally prepare yourself, God forbid, if you ever are involved in a shoot, Mm -hmm. that you're going to go through the gamut and you have to be the one to raise your rights. Yeah. And you said make sure that you call someone who you know is going to either check their voicemail or answer the phone. Would that be the time to call the USCCA critical hotline? That's a fantastic time to contact the critical response team because Mm -hmm. you know they're going to be picking up the phone. Um, If for whatever reason you don't have your USCCA member card on them with that number, or if you don't happen to have the number tattooed on your arm, Mm -hmm. uh, then hopefully at least in that moment of panic at 4 a.m. when you're down at your local precinct, if you can't remember that number or if you don't have access to that number for whatever reason, contact that one person. Yeah, absolutely. Well, look at that. Time is up. I wasn't even watching the clock. This just got <laughs> me kind of uh, very interested in what's going to happen at the at the police station level, um, letting people know what they can expect when they get in there. Anything that we missed on this topic, just briefly. The biggest thing I would say, again, and I've already said it, but it's, it's so fundamental that it bears repeating, is I cannot, as an attorney, even if I'm your attorney already been retained, I cannot get you out of there. The police and law enforcement and the prosecutors can hold you for certain periods of time. They are listening to your jail phone calls. They are listening to all sorts of stuff. Do not talk to people in your pod in jail. Do not talk to people on the jail phone calls. Mm-hmm. All right. You, this is part of your case, what's happening here. So make it good. All right. And you should do that by raising your rights, being polite, be respectful, and understand it's going to be a long time before you get to sleep. It's going to be a long time before you get to eat. It, it, it's unfortunately part of the process. Yeah, this is part of the aftermath of a shooting. And again, folks, you need to be aware of these things are going to happen. Whether you think they're right or wrong, this is what happens as you go through a defensive gun use. Again, this is not legal advice. This is just putting information out there at the top of the funnel, getting you started on your self-defense journey so that you understand what it takes to become a responsibly armed American. I want to thank Tom Grieve for being here with us. I'm Kevin Michalowski, editor of Concealed Carry Magazine. 
This has been your member-only content, a special service we provide for our USCCA members. Thank you for watching.